Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk in Real Time, your podcast, giving you behind the scenes access with some really awesome creative souls to hear how they keep things real in their lives and passion projects. Basically, this is going to be your average run of the mill, off the cuff musings, and definitely a lot of real talk. I am your host, Jay Herman, storyteller, badassery advocate. And today I am so excited to bring you my one of my very favorite people from Sarasota, even though she may not know this, but we met some years ago. I have the pleasure of bringing to you Ariella, who is a wonderful, amazing songwriter, singer, performer based in Florida. How are you doing today, my dear? Hello, I'm doing fantastic. Hey, that's good to hear. Now, obviously, this coronavirus thing is going to be on our minds for many, many months to come. So regardless of when um, this is going to air, which will be sometime in May, I I have to at least, you know, ask you, how are you coping with, with being a performer, but you're sort of, you know, self-quarantined? Mm. <laughs> So it's been an interesting, uh, just like everyone else, a roller coaster, I think, emotionally. Um, when something so huge hits, there's it, it kind of, I think the realization comes in waves. Um, coping, I think I cope the same way almost anyone else does. You know, there's different stages, but right now, um, we haven't even really had much time to rest on our laurels per se. Um, we immediately had to transition into being homeschooling parents. Um, we weren't a traditional family to begin with, so we didn't do the whole nine to five kids go to school and pick you up. And then we've got, we've tried really hard to get, to keep some sort of like semblance of, of, uh, quote unquote normalcy, mm-hmm. but with two kids here and then a third kid that comes every other weekend, um, I mean, being musicians, we're home most of the day. The real, the real uh, difficulty in transitioning and, and realizing that this is like, this is that it that it's real. Um, kind of started with the loss of gigs, so then we're home all the weekends, and then all the family time, and then this not not going outside as much, and then we had to kind of start looking for ways of like entertaining the children. It's so the focus has really been centered around the kids and it's been kind of a distraction which is kind of a type of coping phase it's like looking for other ways to kind of like stay healthy minded but then and not constantly be on social media mm-hmm. letting the reality soak in handling the transition as best we can one day at a time and then you know adjusting seeing what worked what didn't work how can we best serve our family as a unit learn from our mistakes and then go on to the next day Meanwhile, trying to make sure we've got all the supplies and then, you know, also tending to our business online and taking care of the dog. <laughs> so, I mean, I I saw, you know, I saw a lot of we've got uh, people all over the world um, that care about us and we're fortunate in that. But then it's also unfortunate because we see how gravely it's impacted so many people that we that we truly care about. So it's. um you know, it, it took a while to hit us. Now it's here and we're just grateful to be healthy. And there's so much to be grateful for. So that's a, another phase of the coping to answer your question is really just trying to keep counting our blessings on a daily basis. Well, I love that. And that's a really great reminder 
for for folks, especially in Sarasota, where we are, where outside it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. We live in paradise, but yet we have this lurking thing, you know, that we essentially don't we don't appreciate what we have until it's somewhat taken away. And I feel like for me personally, it's almost like there's so much I want to do that I, I took for granted that I would have the time to do, you know, like go to the beach more and take advantage of parasailing and things like that. And now that we can't do it, it's like, wow, (laughs) I I really should have done that when I had the chance. Do you feel like there are some things, you know, in, in Sarasota that you're like, wow, I wish I had done that, that maybe now when this is over that you'll take advantage of? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Um, I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a beach goer, uh, and I'm really quite lazy at heart. (laughs) So, so the insides of me have kind of been in a way celebrating the downtime, even though it hasn't been much resting. Um, I'm really glad I, because before this hit, I was getting the kids up Monday through Friday at like 645, seven o'clock in the morning. And now that they do school online, I don't have to get up so early, but I've never been much of like a get up and go (laughs) or much of an outdoorsy, especially with how particularly Caucasian I am. (laughs) Um, My parents had a a beach business when I was little and um, they would take us to the beach all the time. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they pay the price for it. So they've been harping on me since probably my teenage years to wear sunscreen uh, too much. And that, that doesn't exist. You can't wear sunscreen too much. Just keep putting it on. Always put some. So they've gotten lots of skin cancer. I, I actually actively avoid going outside. So this indoorsy thing has been kind of like a, <laughs> it's nice. I don't, I don't know, but, um, really the only thing that I feel that's restricted my normal routine has been like restaurants and, you know, socializing. Right. But even a lot of that's been done. Like I try to, I'm more of a night owl to begin with and then add in the boiling hot sun in the middle of April and May. And it's, <laughs> it's AC for me. I hear you. All about the air conditioning. So ha- are you born and bred Sarasota? Are you from the Sarasota area originally? Yep. I am. Um, my parents both uh, moved down here from different places and met as young people in the restaurant biz and then started many businesses after that and, and went on adventures as a couple had my brother, um, first and then, uh, and then had me second. He was actually born out of state. I was, um, when they had my brother, they, they wanted to come back here and moved home and had me second. And so I was born actually at Sarasota Memorial hospital in 1986. Nice. And so do you come from a musical background or is it, is it, is it just you? I mean, we're going to get into you, your, your talent very shortly, but I've, I've just always been curious if you have musicians in your family. Oh yeah. Um, and they're all way more talented than me. (laughs) (laughs) They're just amazing. I, I, uh, I totally look up to my, um, my musical, they're my musical idols and not just musical. I mean, creatively speaking, my mom used to sing to us when we were little. She was actually uh, the first graduating class of Booker after the desegregation here in town. Oh, wow. okay. So um, I believe it was seven, 77 was the graduating class. Uh, and so my mom went to Booker. My aunt, 
my uncles, um, my cousins, and my brother went to Booker for a little while. Um, and Booker, for those that don't know, is a magnet school for the arts. They had um, they would take college courses and let the incoming students choose what your focus was, and they would try to get you prepared for college, even though I never went. So, um, so I, I, but I did go for music. I had the same fire director my mom did, and so she would sing to us my whole life. And my dad, um, my dad played guitar and sang, and he actually continued to after we were born, while my mom ended up letting her music kind of just be for us at home. Mm. My dad took his music out, and he, uh, he had gigs all over town. Um, he used to play at the depot before it was Madison City Grill. Oh, wow. Um, he played on the LaBarge for years and years, which so did I later on as a band. And a lot of the same venues we would I, I would play at, which is wild. I can't imagine what that must be like for my dad, seeing like your daughter grow up and, you know, kind of take over the spots you used to play. And he doesn't actually play music anymore. Um, he ended up giving it up years later uh, before I started doing it professionally. So there was there was no overlap. It was more of he kind of gave it up in my younger years and then later on. He planted the seed that I knew it was possible, though. Um, I didn't think it was possible for me, but I knew that it was a thing that people could do. Um, and then my brother is four and a half years older than me, and he was, is still, he's like uh, the grandmaster of everything. Like, he writes, he draws, he sings, he paints, he writes poetry. He, like, does, he plays all the instruments, and is just massively talented beyond anything I can even comprehend and his voice is like an angel so I was surrounded I mean coming from you and so I did not give your intro justice in describing oh no you've complimented me plenty (laughs) I I really have to go a little bit deeper in saying that I first saw you and it's been probably 10 years ago maybe like it would have been 2007 2008 give or take and what was the 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 place uh yes ceviche and i remember and i'm sorry honey i'm gonna gush so i walk in and i see this angel of a person we're talking this just gorgeous halo hair blonde just beautiful and she's sensual and she's just like flowing and when you started singing my heart, like my heart just quivered in my body. And I was just like, this person is amazing. And then we danced. And <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is the most powerful, singing, beautiful person I have ever encountered. And then to meet you, and you were just like this, hey girl, what's going on? Hey, it was like so down to earth. I was just like, okay. Kill me now. I have to heaven. And you continue to be that person. Like, you know, your career has blossomed and you're still this down to earth, wonderful, amazing person. So I didn't gush enough when I said that you are an amazing singer, songwriter, just beautiful person. How do you, how do you do that? How do, how do you go about your daily life? knowing that you're so amazing and yet just like real. How do you do that? <laughs> well, that's too kind. <laughs> it's too kind. Um, I'm, 
I, you know, the best part is knowing that, uh, that our music affects people like that. Cause that's just a gift. Um, not everybody, not, not everyone gets to know, you know, sometimes not everyone is brave enough to tell an artist what it mean, what they mean to them. Cause they think, Oh, maybe they already know, or they heard this too many times, but it's, that's part of the best part of getting to do this for a living is getting in contact and like knowing that our music or something that we did affected them positively. What a, what a blessing, but how to, I don't know how to be anything, but me, I do try to like, kind of, you know, I realize I'm just a regular human being. Um, and that that includes being talented. I think that all human beings are gifted and that one, this music is just one of the things that I get to do while I'm here. And I try to appreciate it and do the best I can with it. I'm not the best singer in the world, and I'm not the worst singer in the world. Um, but I try to improve. Um, and I think that really if I focus on trying to improve who I am as a person, that the music will follow along with everything else. Like it's you take the body, the mind will follow, you know. If I'm continuing to attempt to live in a way that keeps me right-sized, not on top and not underneath, but somewhere in the middle and being grateful for where I'm at and everything that's come before and everything that's yet to come and just stay in that gratitude. And I think it keeps me in reality, <laughs> not heaven, not hell, but like just right now. And it's, I'm not so good at being in the moment, but I am really good at just, uh, looking at what's in front of me. Wow. And again, that's part of what makes you so amazing is that you're, you're humble, you know, oh. and you, you could be all about, yeah, girl, it's all about me. And you don't. I can't. It's so not, it's so, <laughs> I pray, I pray sometimes and I'm not, I'm not religious at all, but I'm like, dear God, please don't ever let me be, you know, like an obnoxious diva. Amen. <laughs> I don't ever want to, identify as as someone that has uh that thinks overly highly of themselves i just want to be what you know whatever it is that i was created to be that's the best i can do wow i love it and one of your signature things is when you perform most often you're barefoot <laughs> what is up with that what is that about how does uh, how, is that something that you've just always done like why do you do that so I remember just talking about being a booker and I didn't, I actually didn't graduate. I went and got my GED. I went to Booker high school from 2000 to 2004 and I failed English twice <laughs> and I aced Spanish in that last year, but I did not do well in English. Um, but even looking back at those times, I wasn't as much of a rebel in my middle school years, but as soon as I got to high school and started trying to figure out who I was, I actually got sent to the principal's office <laughs> for not wearing shoes. And they'd be like, where are your shoes? <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, I didn't bring any. They're like, oh my God, go to, <laughs> go to the principal's office. A, more, more than once, unfortunately. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't to make anyone else mad. It was just, I've always, uh, I used to run in the streets barefooted. And, um, even now and the occasion, the occasional, like every once in a while, I'll go get a pedicure and they'll be like, would you like me to, you know, take those, 
take all those calluses off your feet. And I'm like, don't you dare touch my feet calluses. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't like being on stage if I can't move all the way. Mm. Um, moving it's, and it's kind of like a long explanation. I'm sorry. But when I discovered that I was singing on stage and I was so paralyzed, even at ceviche, cause those, those were still the early days for me. Um, my first couple of gigs were with the, an awesome band called eclipse and they were the ones that gave me my break and pulled me up on stage, even though I didn't know I wanted to be there. And then pretty shortly after Nicholas asked me to join his band at ceviche. And so I was like still totally green. And, but I was also totally petrified. And I would stand there just all my men's, my muscles clenched and like I would be so tense and so fearful and so just straight, just stage fright struck. Uh-huh. And I would clench my eyes closed and I would hold on to my mic stand and I would just squeeze everything. And it was so stressful. I couldn't enjoy it. And I mean, there was a part of me that enjoyed it, but I didn't know what I was doing. And I hated not knowing what I was doing. I hated feeling, you know, inadequate. And I, it's, that's, you know, that's a long, that's a lifelong battle. I still fight that one. But I learned that when I moved my body, my muscles would release and I might actually have a good time (laughs) the more I danced. And so with my shoes off, I dance a lot with my feet and my ankles and my toes and the the balls of the feet and the heel. And I just, I touch all the parts and all the sides and then the front and I'll just dance on one foot and I'll dance on my tippy toes and I can't do that in heels. Ah. Well, you move beautifully and without knowing how much of that is from your past, it, I was like, is this, like her stick is this like you know <laughs> is this her gimmick because it's working but that that totally makes sense because you're you're a grounded person and so not having your shoes off you it it makes you look very ethereal but also very grounded too so i i love that that just makes me love you more honey oh thanks <laughs> now so let's just say you know, we're not going through this crisis and you had a gig tonight. What's a typical day and evening look like for you as you're preparing to go on stage? Oh, um, depending on what time it starts, uh, we, and, and also the location, cause we, we gig anywhere from in town to about an hour to two hours away, depending on where the location, um, we have to give, I give myself at least an hour to get ready. So if the gig is in town and it's at seven o'clock, um, an hour to get there and an hour to set up or not an hour to get there if it's in town. Um, I'd at least start getting ready an hour and a half beforehand. I try really hard not to let it take over my whole day. Mm -hmm. Uh, not that, not that it's like a negative thing, but I tend to, I can, I can get easily overwhelmed if I let it, if I like, like I was so worried about the interview just now that like I was earlier, like two hours beforehand, I was like, okay, whatever it is you need me to do, I need to do it because then I got to get ready to, 
I got to do this. I got to like sit here in front of the computer and make sure I'm logged in. And then the last minute I was like, oh my God, this is why I need to be. So I tend to panic because I care and not because it's something to dread, but because I want it to be a good turnout. So with the shows or anything that I've got, I try to give myself at least like an hour to like, especially if I'm going to be seen, you know, I got to do my hair, I got to put some kind of face on, make it look like, you know, make my, make myself presentable. Uh, but I don't also want it to hijack my day because I got to feed the kids. I got to make sure the dog's been fed or walked and then make sure that the house looks somewhat decent. So when I come home, I don't have to do dishes and whatever I wore at the gig. Nice. I think it's, it's easy for people to forget that, uh, amazing performers still have lives, especially women. Like we still have the dishes and the meals to make. And I think it's easy for people, people to assume that, you know, that stuff just magically gets done and then we're (laughs) so prepared to, to perform for other people. So to hear that you, you're managing that as well as your career is, is, is very humbling to hear. Oh yeah. Just, you know, regular life kids and the dogs and the cat and and the mess, I was telling people, we've, so Nicholas and I have been, I said, we, uh, I, I was telling you earlier that we've been almost more busy be- now than we were before because we've been working from our homes and we've actually committed to doing live streams from our house at least twice a week. Nice. And that's been interesting because even though it's not, a, there's no drive time, it's still been as much prep time. And then having to be singer slash mom slash substitute teacher. Mm-hmm. has been uh, a learning experience, to say the least. That's the nicest way I can put it. You know, so as a, well, not a singer, but as a as an actress performing on stage, it's it's always interesting to me to hear how other performers take the stage, like that, that moment when you're, foot lands or that moment you hear the first note or the moment where the lights come up. What is that moment like for you? That's an interesting question. Uh, So every time is a little bit different Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm not as much of an actor as I think Every day is different. That's the that's the truest I can put it. Every performance is different. Sometimes uh, it takes me like a couple of songs before I'm in the music. Hmm. Um, or sometimes I'm on stage before I'm even on stage, depending on how the entrance to the building goes. Um and I think it's I want I wonder often if other musicians experience things similarly because when I talk to other like and a lot of times I base a lot of my experience off of my husband's because he's closest and we're on stage together. So he plays guitar with me in every, almost everything I do. I don't usually work without him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was raised in a perform within a performance family. Like his mom taught dance and, and w- worked closely with, you know, the theater production and companies where he's from and his dad performed 
even though he didn't have a relationship with his dad. He was a guitar player. And his mom and dad met as they were in a band together and then later on had kids. And then when he was born, his dad kind of tried to make his way on his own and didn't have a relationship with him as he was growing up and went off to go and perform. But his mom brought him up to be a performer. Mm-hmm. I was not, I'm not as much a performer. Like he thrives on it. And for me, it's been such an evolution to even enjoy it. Cause like I said, it was really like, I was so fearful um, mm-hmm. that like the whole concept of being like performing for people. I really just see it as getting up on stage and being myself in front of people. I like it. But I learn who I am more through it. And so the more I do it, the more authentic I feel, the less it feels like performing at all. Wow, that's beautiful. Which, you know, you mentioned working with Nicholas and he's a beautiful soul too. Um, I, he's, when we met, I kind of got that, that James Dean feel, you know, <laughs> you know, like he's, he's got that mysterious kind of way about him, but you're the chemistry between the two of you is, is be- beautiful to watch. So what's that like for you to, to work so closely with your husband and then that he's also a musician? Like, do you guys butt heads ever? Is it always so harmonious? Is it as beautiful as, as it looks when, when we're out in the audience? Um, <laughs> uh, so I am really lucky that I have found my, my partner in everything. So lucky so that I, I take him for granted all of the time um, and vice versa. And we, we, we do it often and discuss it and then get lovey-dovey afterwards. It's been a really crazy ride. Mm. Um, we've been to, he's the longest relationship I've ever had. Um, we didn't have our children together. We met when my kids were one and two and his son was three or four. Um, they're, they're pretty much, there's a, this, this point actually it's from March until July of every year. They're all one year apart. So my daughter's 11, my son's 12 and his son is 13. Wow. And we don't have the purest of stories. Um, it actually was really ugly for a long time. And I think, though, because of that, that we had to learn. Like, we did everything backwards. Um, we were with other people, uh, had our kids, and then met, and then, you know, divorces and separations, and then we got a house and then got married. So we kind of did things in a really like weird backwards order as the, to the traditional, you know, quote unquote, like traditional household. We didn't meet, fall in love, have children, get a house. So, but he, he is beautifully opposite and yet so the same. He's very stoic. He's very uh, logic driven and tends to be a little standoffish. Whereas for me, I'm, um, I'm bubbly. I'm very emotionally driven. 
and like I just love everybody <laughs> and I want to talk to you and I want to know you. <laughs> that sounds like a perfect pairing. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, but you said like do we butt heads and the like we butted so we we broke up so many times for years that most of our songs are about the horrible things we went through in the beginning days and stages and that we, what we've been through. And I mean, I can go into detail as much as you want. I'm not, we're, neither of us are secretive, um, but it was not an easy time. And I believe that honestly, relationships are the hardest part about life. It is the most difficult, but I did find somebody that was willing to put up with me for at least a decade. So <laughs> that's a miracle. And then willing to write songs with me and put up with my creative arrogance and egotism and like, you know, trying to figure out where I fit and like how, who's, who's responsible for this lyric and, and who wrote that part. And, but I stand out so much in front of him and he, for years, he actually had a, a career before we met. He had toured Europe and gone, you know, done amazing things long before I was ever part of the picture. And so when I came along and he goes, oh, I was thinking about having a singer. Will you write with me? And I, I said, sure. Can I sing in Spanish? And that was just because my, we had just moved back from Texas after my son was born. They're both my children are half Mexican and I love the language and the culture. And we wrote for a time at Ceviche. Everything was Spanish, but that was also to hide insecurity. Mm. Um, cause I didn't really know how to write songs at the time and everything in Spanish sounds good. So Heck, why not? So all the songs were in Spanish and it was beautiful and energetic and I didn't have to worry and he took care of all the composition. But then as we evolved as a couple, like I was like, hey, I got this idea. And that was interesting how that all kind of he's like, oh, really? OK, well, and then there's times when I don't feel like writing at all. And he's like, you have to write a new song. We And there's pressure. I'm like, oh, there's I haven't written anything in for such a long time. And gosh, I better get to work. and. So the, the dynamic of doing all that is I've, and the complacency plays a part in it also, because, you know, when, when we weren't living together, I'd be like, oh, it would be so great. We could have sleepovers and write songs all night long if we just lived together. And then you move in and you're like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <sighs> it's, it's a beautiful match. It's heaven, but I don't think heaven is what we think. It's different for each person. Exactly, exactly. And you found a way to learn, evolve, and grow with each other and build this amazing career together is just a testament to couples, especially couples that work together, that it's not going to be all peaches. It's not going to be all rainbows mm -hmm. and unicorns, but that there are still beautiful things that come from you know what can be at times a challenging relationship so you guys make it work in the way that suits you both and it's quite evident in you know how you present yourself and the music that you present to the world so you're, you're making it work <laughs> thanks no yeah we we uh after all this time and all of the fights and all of the making up and everything that we've been through we still like each other which is a beautiful thing um, it's miraculous, <laughs> yeah, he's, but he's, no. I, he's a really good person and also happens to be talented. He is amazingly talented. I, I've seen him perform. I've seen the solos 
And it's evident, it's always been evident to me that he is a master in what he does. That, that doesn't, I think that doesn't escape most people when they have, when they've had an opportunity to, to listen to him do a solo, but then the two of you coming together is just fucking magic. So, um, you guys travel quite a bit and you just got back from New York city performing at the blue note. Tell me what was that experience like? That was crazy. Um, (laughs) it happened really fast and I've talked to some people about it. Not many, um, as interesting as it is, it, I kind of almost let, I just, it's almost like a dream and it's kind of just floated by and I'm like, wow, that, that was, that was something (laughs) (laughs) that happened. That that really (laughs) happened. Right. Yeah, that did. Um, we've been working together for just over a decade and it went from the ceviche days to, you know, playing as a duo and then, missing having a band and then starting the alibis. And then now it's the two of us have always been the ones writing the song. So we we were like, okay, if we're going to tour more often, it's a lot more feasible to do that as a duo than as a five piece and to lug all the gear and, Mm -hmm. and it's our music to begin with. So we decided to really start putting our energy into the duo, which we started calling Ariella, we talked about possibly transitioning the alibis to just go by Ariella and a lot of people were against it. So we just decided to leave the alibis alone. The alibis are a thing, but Ariella can be a morphing thing in terms of whatever we want it to be. It can be the duo. It could also be, you know, the duo plus whoever we want. And it's still going to be called Ariella, mm-hmm. which frees us up identity wise to be able to play with other people. And hire guns if we want. If we want to, like, have a whole rhythm section when we go someplace, we can hire somebody. Mm-hmm. But when we started putting some time and energy into the duo, all of a sudden some weird, like, magical things started happening. And yeah. we got an agent. And our agent was like, all right, we're going to do some things. We're going to try this out. I'm not sure if it's going to work. But here, you know, here, do, do these little mini tours which is possible because we've got kids. We can only go away for so long. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we're on our way to a gig and my agent calls me and he goes, Hey, it's a long, it's a long, a long shot, but would you be willing to go to New York like next week? And I was like, what? Oh. Why? <laughs> he goes, well, you know, they gave me a call and you know, blah, blah, blah. Yada. Nothing, nothing, no big deal. But you know, they really want you to play at the blue note. They've got a spot open. Do you want it? Wow. I was like, uh, yeah, duh. <laughs> Excuse you. You should call me yesterday. Um, call me two weeks. Call me anytime. The answer is yes. I was like, don't ever say no. We'll figure it out. Say yes. And then call me and say, by the way, you're doing this. And I say, okay. Right. So, um, we did everything we possibly, we reached out because Nicholas and I were mostly concerned about how it would impact us financially. We had to cancel gigs with the band. We had to pay for last minute flights. We had to get people to watch, help watch the kids. Everything was such short notice that it's, you know, more expensive that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, we 
we gave some friends a call. We called out to fans. We called my parents. We called everyone. And we're like, we can make it work. And we called the band, of course. Um, we don't want to do anything that's going to upset them. But we know that they support us, too. So we really w- don't want to say no. Is everybody cool with this? And they all said, green light. Mm-hmm. So we shot up to New York for one day. We didn't even spend the night. We slept wow. in the airport and flew back home the very next day and then played at the Blue Rooster the next night. Oh, my goodness. So when I say it's like kind of floated by like this weird thing that happened that I'm not sure happened, but I'm pretty sure. And I'm, I know it does because it's on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> I, I vaguely recall that night. Um, it was so amazing. Uh, not what I thought it was going to be kind of like the way I'm talking to you about like how the relationship is and it's heaven and like being where I am right now. I mean, so much of my life has been a dream come true. So like when a cherry on top like that happens, I'm not even sure how to absorb it. Hmm. Um, I, I showed up, I performed the best I could I did not feel worthy and I, and I know that that affected my performance, but like I told you, I had talked to a few people about that and there were a few people actually that did come that were from Florida that had seen us before. There was a couple of people in the audience Wow! and I asked them about that and I said, did did we do okay? Because I didn't feel like we did. I was like, I was so nervous. I was a wreck. I'm on stage at the blue note. Which that that gig had a tremendous part to do with my friend uh, and amazingly talented bass player, Victor Wooten. Um, He is largely responsible for me getting that gig. It wasn't just my agent, although it was it's been a team effort. But Mm -hmm. he uh, he got me up on stage with him. We went to go to New York and, and. see we're are playing a gig and then he said he was playing a gig too and I said where he said and I said okay I'm gonna come so he's like all right you want to sing a song so I get up and I sing a song of course I'm nervous did not go as well very well either <laughs> I'm very critical so I'm like you know that happened and then you know three months later my agent pitches it and they're like oh that girl that sang with the Victor Wooten thing and the oh. and the thing the thing with the thing and the lady and the whatever and you want to do this and they're like oh Sure. There's a spot here. You want it? Let me get her. Uh, we'll make it work. So it's very puzzle pieced. And like, here I am in New York City for one night on the world famous stage. And there's like, I want it at 12 o'clock at night, 1230. I think there were 20 people there. And it's, yeah, it's a small place. Don't get me wrong. It's pretty small. And for 20 people to be there, it was a big deal. But it, it felt so empty and like, there was one guy sleeping in front. It was just like, it was almost com. There was these comic relief moments of like, Oh my God, is this is my life. Wow. <laughs> this is so, my dad once told me that for every victory, there is an equal and opposite tragedy. And, um, not to say there's anything wrong with taking a nap at the blue note. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not that interesting. but like it was just such a very odd moment to sing at this world renowned jazz club for Mm -hmm. 20 people 
And like, you know, of course, you know, even if it was a hundred thousand people and there's one guy that's like, you know, leaving or not, not into it, I'd be like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me, you know, cause I can't appreciate the other 99, whatever. It's the one guy well, sleeping I mean, that throws me off. It's, but it's, it's the blue note. I know. You know. It's like the legendary jazz club. In and comparatively the- speaking, I can't pot. I don't even know how I got that spot because the legends that have been on that stage. It And then there's, you know, little old me. But we did our best and I had a fun time. And I and we sang songs and we played and I, and I, I tried so hard to dance to like release the muscles and like get into it. And it was so hard. Do you I was feel- just so in my head. Do you feel or did you feel the energy of, you know, like what was the energy in that building? Like, could you feel that there was this just harmonious, like this is where musicians are? This is like, did you feel that energy or were you just like just distracted by feeling nervous? Um, so right beforehand, um, I have a my I actually you know you know Salvatore Brantsport. Yes. He's an amazing photographer. Uh he's not from here, but he used to live here and I think he's I'm like fingers crossed hoping he moves back because he's like he's my favorite photographer. He's really the one that we like working with the most out of everyone. Uh no offense to anyone else that's taken our photos. I just absolutely I favor his uh his clean the just what he does. It just suits everything and he so he actually lives up there right now and when I found out I was going I said hey I'm playing at the blue note can you come and he goes actually I can do you one better and I'll shoot you before the show oh cool I was like great oh my god that would be amazing he's like we'll do some subway shots we'll do some street shots we'll get some lights we'll get the thing and the streets and the New York we'll get the New York And I'm like, fantastic. So the moment we get there, we got to rush to the place, drop our stuff, go over here, do the photo shoot, run all the way around the city, and then rush to the building, do sound check. Then we've got to set up. I got to change my outfit because it's freezing because it's January. So I'm like wearing tons of clothes and then I got to change to go on stage. And then I go on stage and there's like, you know, it, it was so fast that the, I wish I could say that I like, took five minutes and that's probably why I don't have many regrets but the one thing as a performer or as an entertainer whatever whatever I am the one thing I wish I would do more often is just take a minute to sit still and be there before I go I don't ever do that I mean if I do it it's accidental and not thought out most of the time it's just go, 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 get on, get on, do, 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 go, go, go. And I'm so worried about being uh, late or I, I want to be punctual. And I want to do a good show. And I'm so like, just quick, jump, run, sing. Mm. So I, I often miss the opportunity to just be, be still. And when it comes to feeling an energy of a building, I wish because in that, in that moment, had I taken that moment, I probably would have gotten to appreciate that aspect but I missed that opportunity. So it was very, it was too, uh, too fast. Uh, but the memory of that, having that happen to me 
is still so grand because I never thought that that was possible for me. Wow. So, I mean, I think one, you're definitely, as most creatives are, really hard on yourself, (laughs) one. And two, in addition to the admonition to slow down, to be in the moment, to find the moments to enjoy the success of getting to where you were, what other tips or what other advice would you give to an aspiring singer-songwriter? Um, I am not great at giving advice. (laughs) I, the best I can do is just share my personal experiences. Um, I did so much wrong in my opinion as in terms of like, if I were to talk to a younger me, mm-hmm. um, like don't get involved with people you work with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad that one worked out. Although I know that it doesn't always. And you know what the world of people in which we get to do this with, I would like to consider them all family and not exes that I'd never like to see again. So I try really hard to, you know, um, luckily I don't have to worry about that anymore. So the, but in terms of creativity, I, um, I really wish I would write more and that goes for right now. That's not just a past me thing. It's like, I really wish that I would stop being so judgmental of everything I do and say, and just be free to like write stupid things. Like I told you earlier, I had this terrible fear of being stupid or looking stupid uh, or not what I'm not looking like I don't know what I'm doing. And it's paralyzing to the point where my expression and my creativity suffer. And that's mm. not fair to do to myself. I wouldn't do that to someone else. Right. Right. And so I don't understand why I, I'm so harsh. And so honestly, it's pretty mean. It's mean to say to myself, like, oh, that's stupid. Don't do that. Don't write that. Or, you know, God, if anybody ever read this, what, who cares? I wish I would write more freely. And it doesn't have, not everything I write has to be a product. I do that to myself. I'm like, everything I do, I think it's going to be something that I have to sell. And so it's got to be perfect or worthy of, purchase. Mm -hmm. And if I'm putting a price tag on something that's not even existing yet, that's, that robs me of so much. And it's, it's not even the process, the creative process that it, not only the creative process it's robbing me of, it's the fulfillment part, like the spiritual aspect of doing this because I love it, not because it's got a, uh, it's an income. Wow. That realization is so important. And to hear that from you is just, it's golden. You know, it's hard. It's it's so hard. I was just, I just talk about synchronicity. I just had this conversation yesterday with a creative writer and, you know, his thing was, I, I can't be that person who writes every day because it won't be good enough. And it's like, no, honey, you can write every day, writing every day and what you produce, you know, for money or what, or have, or not the, the same thing. They're not mutually exclusive. Writing every day is for you. 
it's not necessarily for everyone else. Yeah. You know, what we polish and put out there to the world as our quote unquote product is different, but that creative expression, that's your gift and holding it back is, is like you said, it's selfish and it's mean and it's cruel. And it's not, it's not what you would tell your younger self or someone else, someone that you cared about that was in the same field. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for that, that validation. It's, it's nice to hear that. Um, so in that, it sounds like that's, I know for me that imposter syndrome feeling like I shouldn't be doing this because there are, there are other people more talented than me. Do you feel that that is something that we overcome? Do we continue to just deal with it? Like if that happens to you, how do you, how do you cope? How do you deal with that feeling? Well, it's, I think that that is a, uh, not necessarily, I think talent is when we first start create, like expressing ourselves through whatever outlet we, that we have, whether it's music or makeup or photography or any, anything, anything. Um, I think that at first it's like this way to figure out who we are mm. and Sometimes people will say, oh, I, I wish I could sing like you. And I am so confused at that a little, a little bit because they sing like them. And mm. that's beautiful. I absolutely love when Nicholas sings to me. Now, he is not a great singer by any stretch. But I love it because it's so him. Mm. It's his voice. It's who he is that is why I love it. And my favorite singer in the whole wide world is Tom Waits. Hmm. Not the best singer, but his voice is so, there's so much hmm. and it, and it, and it reaches me. And I think that that is really what I'm looking for when it comes for like, look, self-expression. It's like if I, the whole imposter syndrome is me not feeling worthy because I don't feel like I'm living up to the identity that I'm projecting you might have of me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's just, it's just regular insecurity. It's, that's pretty plain. But anytime I'm trying to find myself, I don't think that's an imposter. That's just curiosity and trying new things. Yeah. I, I absolutely love to try new things. I like to wear different clothes and uh, try my hair. I cut all my hair off. What, what once was the, the long blonde locks you, you were talking about earlier is now like this short white, you know, mop on top of my head. I, I just like to, um, I like to play. And I think that's the biggest gift from gaining a little bit of life experience as well as experience in my field is finding the time and the freedom to let myself play and not be so overly concerned with what others might think I am. And I do that. I think, honestly, I think all of us do to a certain extent. We're worried about what others might think. And I don't think that that ever goes away but I do think we can get better at practicing at letting it go. Um, at least I, I practice all the time. And a big part of that, 
I think uh, it comes from me being critical of other people because I wouldn't be so fearful that they're being critical of me if I'm not being critical of others. Wow. So yeah, if, I'm, if I'm being particularly judgmental, then I'm going to think everyone is like that some way or another and be afraid that they're going to judge me. But the only way I've ever learned to combat something that's tearing me up, like a defective character like that, is to address it face first and pointing the finger at myself and saying, what, what is it that I'm so afraid of and what is it that I don't like in others that I'm portraying myself? And is there some way that I can possibly work towards alleviating that or maybe even eradicating some negative aspect that I'm fearful of? It's, you know, it's just identity stuff where figuring it out and calling myself on my own crap and not thinking that it's the world against me, but it's really me thinking I'm against the world, but I'm not really against the world. I'm a part of it. So how do I get closer to that? And then... I don't have to worry so much about being an imposter because then I get to be a part of and all that, all the other crap goes away. So that is that journey of self-discovery, right? Is profound. And I think, yes, it's important to recognize that it doesn't go away, but how we ebb and flow and move about that journey being open to that. Like you said, give yourself permission to play, give yourself permission to look at yourself, use what you're, what you're fearing as a mirror to dive deeper. I think Heck yeah, that, that's what good songs are made of. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, if we don't, if we don't allow ourselves to face those things, we don't get to the, to the heart of what really becomes is the heart of our gift or our passion or, you know, our purpose or what we're putting out in the world. Um, and I think that's a mistake for a lot of young uh, creatives is feeling like you, you, you get it all figured out. You get to a point where it's like, I'm done. I'm good. It's all easy piece from here on out. And that's just not the case. And I think the sooner mm. we, we recognize and accept that the journey, the, the journey is the journey, right? The, the there is no end. And um having opportunities to, to speak with other people who, who are able to, to be with that and be okay with that process is the gift that we can give. You know, that's, that's a legacy that we pass on in addition to, you know, the, the gifts that we put out. So I thank you for that. Um, I'm, I'm very mindful of time, even though, you know, I could talk to you forever, but I, I have to know when you're not creating, when you're not being mommy, when you're not traveling, what's something that gives you pleasure? And, and, and give me a guilty pleasure. What's something that oh, you do? Oh, dang. I was going to say crocheting. You said guilty. <laughs> I'm not guilty about crocheting. I love... <laughs> um, oh, that's... That's a hard one. Hold Is on. it chocolate? Is it chocolate? Because for a lot of people, it's chocolate. <laughs> I mean, I made some peanut butter cookies last night. <laughs> um, you know, I'm grateful that this quarantine, <laughs> I've gotten more use out of my uh, stand mixer that I got for Christmas. <laughs> Making all these damn cookies. <laughs> um. 
I think I like I it's not guilty, but I I like fire and so like I I really like I am oh he's checking on me. Uh, <laughs> I mean I'm a total sugar addict, absolutely, but maybe if I if I had to pick any sugar in the world right now, my guilty pleasure is bubblegum. No way. Yeah. Specifically bubble yum, honestly. Not to endorse a company. I probably shouldn't do that. But that, do they that, still make bubble yum? They the, they got it for a dollar at Walmart and yes, I buy it every time I I I can't not. It's so good. It's it but it's you know, that's a part of me trying to indulge my inner child too, is just chewing on them, popping making big big bubbles. I just love it. It's my favorite. That's my guilty pleasure. I love it. I love it. Now I'm going to be craving bubble yum. So thank you or not. Bubble <laughs> yum and building fires in my backyard. <laughs> That's where I'm at when I'm not mom or singing. <laughs> I love it. Well, honey, it has been so very awesome to talk with you. I appreciate you taking this time with me. And, you know, I, I got to learn more about your wonderful background and I can't wait. I mean, I know that you're doing stuff online, but the experience of experiencing you live, I haven't had that that opportunity in a while, and I'm looking forward to doing that. But again, I just want to thank you for taking the time with me today so, so, so very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for thinking of me.